Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Disrupted Workforce Podcast, a show focused on how disruptions such as the pandemic, AI, and emerging technologies are reimagining work, skills, and purpose in 2021 and beyond. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to rate and review the podcast. If you have been wondering, are the kids okay? Then this is the episode for you. Alex and I had the honor of sitting down with my friend, Juan Vendana, a top speaker that reaches 50,000 students and educators in Canada and the US each year. And that is exactly why we wanted to speak with Juan. He brings an incredibly unique perspective, having personally interacted with high school and college students in over 50 cities. Juan takes us on his personal transformation journey and then bridges that to the broader transformation all students are going through right now. He reveals deep insights about what our students, teachers, and the administration are feeling, disconnection and loneliness. And despite the countless ways to digitally interact, our students are longing for authentic connection, online and offline. Juan is a beautiful mix of humility and passion. We love his focus on helping our students build better habits, shift their mindsets, discover their confidence, and achieve their potential. You're going to love this episode. Now let's get to it. Juan, you are a renowned speaker, entrepreneur, and DJ. Every year you keynote huge events, conferences, student events, and corporate trainings, and you reach 50,000 students educators and professionals across Canada and the United States. We are super excited to have you here today on the show. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. So you and I go way back, right? We go way back to Global Youth Leadership Summit, which is an annual youth leadership summit that's held every year in San Diego, California. Well, prior to the pandemic, it was held every year in San Diego. And um, what, what was the first year that we met? Was it? I think it was 2013? 2013. 2012, and, 2013. Yeah. And when we met, um, so you're, you know, this guy who's an author, you wrote Goals to Greatness in 2016, you create the 100 Day Playbook, and, and you, you've done all these amazing things. But when I met you, you were not in that place, right? And you were sort of didn't have your voice yet, didn't have your power, hadn't turned your story into something that you're sharing with everyone else and helping to transform lives. So can you kind of take us back to those early days of Juan at Global Youth Leadership? Yeah, I, I appreciate the uh, the <laughs> intro that I hope I can live up to um, because I just feel like I'm, you know, a Canadian, a 20-something Canadian that just likes hanging out with students and sharing good vibes. That is, that is the main thing that I've leaned into over the past few years. And way back when, when Nate and I met, I was, I think I was 14 or 15 at that point when we met and I was kind of into leadership things. I was like kind of the leadership student, but kind of not. I was kind of like one foot in the door. And what I mean by that is I was involved in leadership conferences and I was involved in my school to a certain degree. But that was more so for the picture that it gave than the actual investment. It was more so for how I looked and how I was perceived than the actual commitment and caring for that. 
And I remember going to the Global Youth Leadership Summit, for those of you who are watching this, that are confused on what that is. It is a five-day leadership program in San Diego where students from over 40 countries come together and learn about leadership and do different experiences that develop their ability to lead, to influence, and to also bring that back into their own school. And I found that when I went, I was like a 15-year-old, 14-year-old awkward kid that didn't really know why he was going. He was going for the free trip to San Diego, um, to be completely honest. And in my second year, I met Nate. And that second year was really how, the how how creepy was Nate then? I'm just <laughs> Nate was significantly more charming, uh, just <laughs> more charisma. No, Nate Nate was genuinely one of the you know those adults that you feel like are like one of you, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, he gets me. Like Nate was one of those people, genuinely. Like what was one of the people that year that I immediately clicked with and connected with and wanted to be like as this 15 year old awkward kid. And that was the year where I was sort of pivoting to understanding that if I put in the effort, if I put in the work, I would have the ability to like have people buy into certain ideas, have influence over people and be a leader. And a lot of in the student space, in the education space, we talk a lot about leadership and it's a, it's a point of interest for a lot of schools, organizations, conferences, student leadership events, student events. And I found that there was part of that that I had, but it wasn't developed whatsoever. It was dormant because of the stories that I made up in my head as to why I shouldn't be that person and as mm-hmm. to why I couldn't be that person. And that conference in that year with Nate, like that really showed me that I had that ability, which I didn't even believe that I had. And then over the next coming years, I worked towards developing that. And I find that in the student space, the primary thing that I focus on now even is having students understand and realize that They have the ability to develop that thing, but it's not going to be an overnight. I'm a leader. I have influence. I have charisma. I'm in like, I've done all these things. It's a work in progress. Like our day will change our life. Like it's not what we do once. It's what we do every single day. And I try and hone in and bring that idea of like, okay, I understand that you want to do this thing once. I understand that you want to be this person, but it's going to take what you do every single day And Nate was such a catalyst to show me what the vision of what I needed to do was moving forward. Because I remember the conversations early on that Nate and I had when I was like 15, it was like, oh my gosh, I feel amazing here. And what happens, and this happens to adults as well. We go to these personal development conferences and we feel great and we feel amazing. Or maybe it's an annual general meeting for a corporation. We feel great and we feel inspired and we've listened to speakers and all of this stuff. And then we go home. And then it's Monday and then we're in our old environment and we're in the old decision-making mindset because we have associations to that old environment that are attached to that. So then we fall back into those same things. And something that Nate helped me realize genuinely is being able to build a plan to be this person, the person that I was in that moment once I was home. Your journey too, Juan, is the the amazing thing about you is you went from, you know, I'm here and I'm kind of trying to figure this out. We'll see what this is to 
having this epiphany and the really kind of owning the event. I mean, you became the kid that all the other kids were looking at going, how do I become Juan? And then not only that, so the way the program goes is you're an ambassador, then you become uh, alumni, and then you can become a coach. And it keeps, like to Juan's point, it keeps kids in the system so that they can come back year over year and build a cumulative stack of skills, leadership skills. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, Juan becomes this powerhouse in the system and all the other kids are going, how can I be like Juan? And I think that's what made it really special was you figured out how to turn your story into everyone's story and become that leader in the camp. But then you went, I don't want to stop here. I want to do this for my life. I want this to be my profession. I want to be. So talk to me a little bit about that journey where you, you have this amazing experience, you're killing it at Gills, and then you go, that's, I want to take it to the next level. It definitely wasn't the fairy tale that it sounds like, uh, because what happened was it was almost a detriment to my ability to progress because I had some success in that program in the fact that I was able to influence the people and the other students that were a part of it and be this energy and this voice in that program, which I really appreciated. But it almost, it was like a catch 22 because I was almost reliant on that feel good energy there. So then when I would go home, I was like, this isn't what GYLS feels like. Mm -hmm. And then I would be reliant on going back there every year and wanting to feel that hit of dopamine, that hit of feel good because people like me and I feel accepted and I feel valued and I feel like I'm contributing, but I didn't get any of that at home because I didn't put in the work at home. I didn't commit to creating that at home in my school. So after I think the fourth year of GYLS, I remember I got home and I was just, I was exiting out of a relationship that I was in for about a year and I was broken and I didn't want to admit it to myself. I didn't want to admit it to anyone in my life because I was the guy that had it all together. I was the guy that people would go to for advice. So I couldn't be messed up. And I turned to toxic vehicles. I turned to food and I gained, I think it was 65 pounds. I was considered oh. obese by age and height in 2014. And I, I, and I don't think even Nate knows this fully, um, I but I, I hated myself because I was putting on this front of who I thought I should be and being this inspiration. And it was just fake because I couldn't even be that for myself. And I realized that nothing was going to change until I did and until I put in the work and until I did the actual work at home on myself to be able to be that for other people. Cause I was like, Oh, I want to go speak. I was like, hey, you can't like, what, who are you kidding? You can't be that person for other people right now. You are not that person. You can't go and speak to a student and fool them into you being this person that can help them thrive if you're not living it. So I took sort of a year hiatus from like personal development conferences, from GYLS, from like all of those things, just to like work on myself and be like, if I want to help students be their best self, make better decisions, lean into challenges, how the heck am I not leaning into the challenges that I'm experiencing? Mm. How the heck am I not being that person? So I took a year, I lost the 65 pounds, transformed my level of energy 
And more importantly, I was happy with who I was because I was aligned with the things that I was saying. And I think confidence, a lot of students ask about confidence. It's something that I really lean into in the work that I do. Confidence is nothing more than the process of making and keeping promises with yourself. And I wasn't doing that. I wasn't make, I was making promises and I was saying I was doing these things, but I wasn't backing it up with effort until I did that. That's when I really got permission from my own ability and my own effort to start in the student industry. Juan, you have gone through the hard work, not only as an individual, but now you're helping others go through the hard work. And, and we're talking about transformation. Well, guess what? We're in a pandemic and everybody's life is in some state of transformation. And one of the things Alex and I want to talk about is, you know, in the disrupted workforce, we're talking about all the ways that this is having a massive impact on our futures. And when you come to the student population, you know, we both have kids. We know what's going on inside the schools. And it's been a massive impact. You're very close to this conversation, high schools and colleges. And we wanted to talk to you about, you know, even though the vaccine is rolled out, even though things are kind of getting better, you know, we wanted to understand you've been close to this population the entire time. You were with the students before the pandemic. You've been through it with them. And now it's starting to come out on the other side. So what are the students concerned about? What are they wanting and needing right now as this whole thing is sort of playing out? Uh, connection, like we talked about before uh, we went live. Students are lonely, man. Students are, teachers are lonely. Adults, adult humans are lonely. People crave that moment of connection. I was talking to a friend a few weeks ago saying one of my favorite things to do is when I'm like walking around the city, I'm here in Toronto, Canada. When I'm walking around the city or maybe in the airport or walking in a new city where I'm like giving a presentation, if I'm walking by someone, I'll smile and say hi. Like, mm -hmm. that's just something I really enjoy doing. I'm like, another human, another Canadian, you're in Toronto, we have a lot in common. Hi, I hope you have a freaking great day because that energy affects me and it also affects them. And I realized there was a shift and this happened probably in, in Toronto, it happened in like May where we were out of lockdown, people still didn't know what was going on and we'd be walking down the streets and people would be wearing masks or people wouldn't be wearing masks because we'd be outside. And I would kind of go for the wave and like if someone was wearing a mask and we were almost primed to look away and keep distance. And I think the emotional social distancing that's going on right now is detrimental to students' mental health. And one conversation that is not being had, and I'm not the mental health speaker, I'm not the mental health person, I'm a like, let's create our best lives person. Let's lean into challenges. Let's put ourselves out there. Let's engage. I would say it's twofold. One is the fact that students are lonely and they've got to, they were never taught how to create relationships virtually. And like I taught, like last summer, I had a couple hundred students uh, form this like out of nowhere organization called the Stuck at Home Conference, where we ran virtual conferences before virtual conferences were like a thing with like a hundred students from across Canada and the US. And they picked the speakers, they created the schedule, they were a part of it. We had over like a thousand students come and join because, and the single reason why they all were a part of the planning and the single reason why all the participants joined is loneliness, mm. is they wanted that connection, they wanted that community, 
that's number one. I feel like the biggest challenge that's going on. And the secondary challenge is that social media, Instagram, TikTok, all of these things, and technology as a whole made things really easy. It made feeling good really easy. It made access really easy. It made being able to order anything on Amazon and it get delivered the next day really easy. It made ordering food and getting to your doorstep really easy. And it almost dialed back a student's necessity for effort. And I think that is happening even more now because students right now in a day in the life, because I have a lot of one-on-one student clients that I work with and a lot of organizations that I talk to and the students that message me on Instagram, students are literally waking up, rolling out of bed, opening their laptop, logging into Zoom, turning off their camera if they're allowed to, or keeping their camera on, having a Zoom background so it doesn't show that they're in bed, spending a few hours doing that, then having homework, procrastinating until the absolute last moment that they can get it done, and then watching Netflix and being on Instagram group chats, Snapchat group chats, and TikTok. That is a student's like life. 12, right 12 hours a day, 18 hours a day of screen. <laughs> Absolutely. And oh of God. not moving, of not having to engage. The content is engaging them, but they're not having to put themselves out there, say something, engage their voice. So I'm like, with students, I'm like, even go for a walk, call someone, do something where you have to put in some effort. Real Be- human connection. Exactly. Because the number one thing is loneliness. But I would say very close second is effort. We're having a loneliness issue and we're having an effort issue where like, we don't need to put in a lot of effort. We don't need to walk to school. We don't need to take the bus. We don't need to put ourselves out there. We don't need to wear a smile. We don't need to wear human clothes. Like we can just be in track pants all day. That's different. That's different. And in a moment where you have effectively a crisis of connection, and technology is making everything so predictable and so easy, people forget that relationships are hard. Mm. I think that's one of the most difficult things about the way that we have come to engage with our technology and what we expect from our technology is that everything is so easy and at your fingertips and every input has a predictable output or reaction. And that is not how human or relational aspects of life work. And people are forgetting that, especially youth who have grown up with smartphones since 2012. I think 2012 was the year that half the folks in this country uh, had a smartphone. And when you look at the data behind anxiety and teen depression and suicide rates, all of that stuff spiked starting in 2012. And we'll get into that a little bit more later in the episode, but I, I really appreciate you, you calling that out and also really appreciate you sharing so transparent, so transparently your own journey to, to self-love and fulfillment and sort of rebuilding from within, because that speaks to effort one. And you can really own that and go out. And and when you speak to youth about, Hey, you're feeling lonely, you're feeling isolated, you're feeling all these things like, I had to put in the work to get to a good place. Here's my story. Don't think that it's going to be a push of a button. It's not going to be as simple as an Instagram like or or a story that you put up about, you know, what you ate for breakfast to to build connection and community. Yeah, and I think it's it's feeling good about yourself and not needing the validation from others and I know that's easier said than done, especially for students. Like even me, like when I put something on Instagram or I like throw something up and like the one hater is louder than the hundred supporters. Yes. Like it, it really 
cares at you because you feel like your identity is connected to the validation that comes through this. And you don't just even students. I think, Alex, your point of, of it's hard to build relationships is the, is the truest thing. Like I have a friend, he's 26. He's 26 at the beginning of the pandemic. He is single and he wanted to build a relationship with a lady. And he saw a girl that he was attracted to. It's like, go talk to her. And he's like, ah, and, just, and he was nervous to go and talk to like, I remember two or three years ago when you would be out at, a, you know, on the street or at a park or something, it was normal to be able to go up to someone or a group of friends and just say hi. And I think that's magnified for now, right now, because how are you supposed to meet someone when you feel like meeting them is breaching the stay at home order? or the lockdown, like you feel like, oh, can I meet you? But it has to be six feet apart. Yeah. Like it's just everything that is put in, put in place. And I'm not saying anything negative towards the, the guidelines that have been put in place because I think they're necessary. And I think we need to get through this. Mm -hmm. But I also think that it takes to Alex's point, like it takes extra effort mm -hmm. to build a relationship now. Are you familiar with Sherry Turkle's work in her book, Reclaiming Conversation? No, no, I'm not. It's, it's a great book. Uh, she's got a brilliant TED Talk as well. And it basically talks about the fact that as a result of technology, youth today have really lost the ability to have conversation. They would rather text than talk. And, you know, examples of, you know, groups of adolescents, you know, a guy sends a girl a text and you know, the, the, she's with her girlfriends and there's 10 people sort of massaging the answer that goes back and guys doing the exact same thing. And then they get together in person and it's just like, uh, what do I say? <laughs> you know, um, And it's, it's, it's interesting to me too, because, you know, having been in the workforce, I noticed how amazingly good the communications were for younger members at my company. The digital communications were fantastic, but then you get in a war room with them and you're working on a project and that face to face, it just wasn't at that same level. I mean, I, I, I felt it and I noticed it. Um, so I can only imagine that you, you, you get to an even greater extreme when you go to, to younger folks that are even more reliant on living, living digitally. Yeah. And I think as well, like the one, I guess the the one asset, one of the assets that I've been able to hone in on and use in in-person presentations is genuinely just wanting to have the conversation with the student and treat them like a real human and just tell those stories and be raw and be real. But then afterwards, staying like I'll always like if I'm booking a flight out, I'll try and book it out the next day so I can hang out and just talk to them and have a real conversation. And sometimes I'll stay for like an hour, two, three hours and just talk and you can tell and it breaks, it rips your heart apart. You can tell this is the first person that has like cared in having a conversation with them and hearing from them and hearing what they like and hearing what they're passionate about and hearing their ideas in a really long time because people don't take that time. So I'm, I'm grateful. Well, I, get I, I feel like that's got to feel like oxygen, right? In a time when you're super lonely and you're disconnected and you're in this really important phase of your life anyway, about kind of finding your identity and finding your voice and you know, figuring out what, who you are and what you care about. 
Um, so I think that when you, at least it's been my experience in front of audiences, when someone will come into the room and just be authentic and look you in the eye and care and uh, create safety in the room, right? And, and all of a sudden it's like oxygen. Everybody just goes, I don't know what this is, but I want more of that. <laughs> so, so well said. I, I want to be empathetic to something you said. Administrators are in the same pain too. Just qu quickly, what are administrators, teachers, you know, principals, what are these folks saying to you? Oh my gosh. Uh, they have taken on another full-time job just but being paid for one. Um, they have, I, I worked with a group of like 500 teachers two weeks ago and they are the most burnt out. They are the mo most exhausted and misunderstood group of people. They are literally like I had a client that they were explaining the event to me and, and it was for a bunch of teachers that they called them frontline staff. And I'd never heard that phrase before, like frontline staff. I'd heard frontline workers like nurses and doctors and paramedics, but it's so true. Like they are frontline staff. They are the ones that are really getting students through this pandemic. They are like, they're emergency workers because this, this education industry, this, the state of education right now is in a state of emergency is yeah. let's keep Triage. our head above board. Let's keep our head above water. So the one thing I feel like teachers are missing right now is really the, and it goes back to the human connection. All the conversations I've had with teachers, they say, I really miss being able to see my students in the class. And I really miss being able to see their faces. And I miss having those conversations and being able to see, oh, Tommy is not having a good day. And like my brother's fiance is a teacher and she knows the, like we've had the conversation countless times of when students come into the class, you understand which ones are having a good day. You understand which ones are having a bad day. And you have to kind of gauge your interactions to those students and cater to them and have those conversations and build that safe space and build that environment. You, it, it's not that you can't on Zoom. It's that it is extremely challenging because what Zoom gives students is the ability to click and turn Auto off their camera. Zombie mode. If they're having a bad day, they can turn off their camera. They, yeah. The administrators, the teachers, the principal, like they can't say anything. They can send a note home. They can write in the chat and say, hey, please turn on your camera. Like I had a school and it was like 300 students and it's like the principal came on and was like, please turn your cameras on. Only like 80 students did out of 300. And it's like, please turn. Wow. And she said it over and over and over again. And you can't force someone to turn their camera on. If someone's in person, you can go up to them and have a conversation. But when it's so distant, when you're on Zoom, they can do whatever they want. Yeah, They can just click. So I think for teachers, it's, yes, the lack of connection with their students, but also not feeling understood, not feeling like they are frontline workers. They are the equivalent of what nurses and doctors and like what they're going through, like they're having conversations with students that are saying like, I want to end my life. Yeah. Like that's a hard conversation, especially through zoom. It's tough. That thank you for that powerful, um, reframe, you know, teachers are frontline workers. But yeah, they really are essential workers. There's no doubt. It's, uh, yeah. I mean, speaking to that, I think, 
you know, you sort of said education is on fire. 192 countries shuttered their schools. And yes, you know, some of these are opening back up as the vaccine rolls out, but the online experience has really been lacking, right? So a significant number of young adults and students had a few choices that they made quite willingly, drop out, take a gap year, or move into the workforce. So from your vantage point, do you feel that traditional education is less compelling as a path forward now? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm seeing it from, well, and you're seeing, and it's it's not even in the perspective of students. It's becoming less compelling in the fact that they're seeing unrealistic pictures of what a career could look like. Mm-hmm. They're seeing people invest in GameStop and making 3,000% returns. They're seeing these people win it big or create careers out of nowhere or be able to jump into this just because they went viral on TikTok. And they're seeing it. And they're like, oh, that could be me too. And what it's not that they're under this delusion that it's like, oh, I can make anything happen. I just don't think they're primed for the effort that that is going to take. And I think out of every one you know, to the moon investment, there's going to be thousands that crash out of every one viral sensation. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people that don't make anything out of that thing. So I think in this past year, yes, it is less compelling for students, but also it's more compelling for others because some students I have a client that I work with that's going to Oxford next year, and she is over the moon about going to Oxford, and she's over the moon about getting an education. But what I also know is over the past year, Ivy League schools like Harvard, like Yale, have significantly lowered their acceptance rates. They had Ivy School decisions last Thursday, or this, yeah, last Thursday, and Harvard's acceptance went from 5.4 to 3.2, mm. which is which is unheard of. And it's because, well, A, financially, they can't really handle the burden. And B, they still want to have that exclusive, we are the best of the best feel and still attract students. And I think uh, Columbia went from 6.4 to around 4% acceptance rate. And it's, it's crazy because students still want to get into those schools. But we're seeing, especially with, we talk, you know, in this podcast about disruption, disruptive innovation and companies that are exponentially changing the way that we do business and the way that we operate in the world are changing the jobs that are going to be present in five years, in 10 years. There's a lot of four-year degrees. There's a lot of four-year bachelors that are going to be absolutely irrelevant in 10 years that are not going to have any jobs to be able to go into after they're done school. So it's sort of weighing those out. So I think, yes, there are some students that see this year as like, I'm going to take a year to reset. I'm going to take a gap year, or I'm going to jump straight into the workforce, not have hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt, which may not actually pay me back until, you know, I'm 40 or 50 and maybe jump right in. Or there's also some students that are like, I still want to get this education because I want to do this. I think education is more is transitioning towards being more specialized where it's like, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, if you want to be something specific, then I'll go to school. But if I want to be all of these other more new age careers, then 
maybe courses online where I can take an MBA online for six weeks and get an MBA for, you know, a 10th of the price and get the same information. Maybe that makes a little more sense if it doesn't matter on a resume. And that's the perfect place to go with this conversation, right? Because massive open online courses or MOOCs mm-hmm. now have projected growth of 33% over the next five years. So you've got platforms like Coursera, Udemy, edX, LinkedIn Learning, Khan Academy, and you know you 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 don't have a three percent acceptance rate uh, <laughs> for these programs. So I'm actually just finishing a really great two week sprint course from Scott Galloway's Startup Section Four. Uh, the course is on how to win in the platform economy. It's taught by the Associate Dean of Innovation at Northwestern Kellogg. The course is fantastic, great community, super engaging platform. And Juan, it's 800 bucks for two weeks. Now, I just Googled because I was curious, what is today's average cost to attend a top 25 MBA program, right? So top 25 two-year program is $195,000. And then you pair that with a recent stat that puts student loan debt in our country at $1.7 trillion. And, you know... I think these are very interesting alternatives. I mean, are, are you, in talking to your students, do they see MOOCs as a cheaper, more tailored, less time-consuming alternative to traditional education, or are these still sort of supplemental and on the fringe? I mean, you talked about, you know, the specialization. You talked about folks looking to, to online courses to, to learn other things. But where is the trend going? You know, what percentage of the folks you talk to are saying, hey, I still want to be in the traditional system, even though it's hard, even though it's tough to get into the school that I want to get into versus the folks who say, hey, I'm not going to drop out. I'm not just going to go to work. I want to stay in education, but I'm out. I'm going online. Mm -hmm. Great, great question. And I I was going to bring that up, actually, because it's I think it's still seen as supplemental, especially from an educator standpoint. Um, but from students as well, they feel like because of the pressure of their parents, they mm-hmm. think and have the fear of my parents aren't going to think that's a real thing. And I'm not going to be able to talk them into that thing. But I think school post-secondary oftentimes, and this is somewhat controversial, oftentimes is to buy time. The average student switches their career path, their major four times within school. Four times they switch their major. I have I, I have maybe one friend out of my entire network that actually landed in the career that they studied. Uh, I, I have friends that studied in one thing and went the completely other way. And I'm not saying post-secondary is something to buy time, but I am saying a lot of students feel pressure from their parents, from society, from all of these viral videos of students accepting their Ivy League school admissions and feeling like they need to be a part of that. And there's so much pressure to go that way that they're like, I'm going to go that way to buy some time to figure out what I want to do. And a lot of students that are coming out of college and university right now still have no idea what they want to do. And I think what's great about the online learning movement and all of the, like I have a friend that's taking a course at Harvard, a I think it's a six-week course, and it's like a few thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And it's taught by Harvard professors. Yep. And there, there is no acceptance. There is no admission. You just, you just pay, and you do the course. And I think 
those are very much so outcome oriented as opposed to tradition traditional university is more so idea oriented of like the idea of going to college the idea of going to school which i think is incredible if you know why you're going if students ask me and the question that comes up often i don't know what i want to do with my life i don't know what school i want to go to i don't know what i want to study great where do you see yourself in 10 years what would actually make you happy if you don't know try on 10 different things yeah research and put effort into finding 10 different careers the average person switches their career every decade yeah now wait well actually way faster than that now (laughs) 20 20 years ago it was like this is your career and you're in it for life now people are switching their career every five ten years so the number one message that i give students when we have those conversations which are often it's like what you pick is not set in stone the mm-hmm. career path you define is not your destiny, isn't what you are made to do. Maybe it is, but maybe it isn't. You have the opportunity to switch and decide and don't go racking up hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt as a waiting room Yeah, to see what you want to do. The World Economic Forum calls it skills, not degrees. The degree is dead and in the whole world, they're calling the whole world to pivot to skills because skills happen much faster than these long four-year expensive degrees. So rather than, I mean, I would love to sit and talk about that for an hour and just dive into that thing, but I would like to actually shift and come back to something that Alex talked about on, on the social part. So you, I think, appropriately lifted up. There are some really good things about digital, and it definitely does help, and it is connecting our world in amazing ways. It makes life easier. However, there is sort of a dark side to this thing too. And if um, you know people saw The Social Dilemma, right, or The Great Hack, there's, there's some documentaries coming out that are not making technology bad, but they're saying, hey, there's some unintended consequences here that are pretty concerning. And so we just wanted to ask you, with the loneliness that you talked about, is there a conversation going on with the student body to go, hey, there's some serious downsides to this whole digital social thing. There are, but to say that they are effective would not paint an accurate picture. Okay. There are conversations from administrators, from teachers, from conferences where it's like, limit your time on social media. That's basically (laughs) telling a student to be responsible and make good choices. The one reason why I even have a career is because I say those same ideas of like, take responsibility for actions just in a slightly different way with some stories where I'm like, take on the things that you can affect and stop complaining about these external circumstances that are outside your control and just get to work. Like it's the same thing. It's just said in a different way from a friend and not from an authority. And I think what is way too common is that those conversations are happening from a point of authority as a opposed to from people that are actually influencing the students because the people that are actually influencing the students are on social yeah. are on Instagram or on TikTok and you're not going to have a TikTok star that's being paid 5 to 10,000 dollars per post for sponsorship to say hey get off TikTok that's not in their best interest you're not going to have an Instagram influencer say hey take a week and just take time off and lower my level of engagement so my sponsors pull out. You're not gonna see that happen. So that's gonna happen in within the schools from people that understand where students are at, and it's gonna have to start from the students. It's gonna have to start from 
it being their idea, because if it's someone else's idea, then that's their opinion. If it's their idea, it's true. It's true for them. One thing that comes up for me is like, what's the alternative, right? If I'm a college student or I'm a high school student and I know that my engagement with TikTok or the gram or Twitter or Facebook, whatever platform I'm using, isn't making me feel good. How are you going to convince me that giving it up is going to make me feel better? How are you going to convince me that putting down my device is going to change my life in some remarkable way and not just make me feel like I'm even more lonely and more isolated because I'm not seeing what my friends and family are doing. I'm not engaged with the people that I'm aspiring to be. I'm not, you know, looking at the lifestyle that I'm aspiring to have. You know, how does removing yourself, uh, what's the upside? Like who's talking about the upside to social to to you know a social media diet is that's a really good point because you're almost seeding to like the infrastructure of what it would look like after you give it up and you talk about all these like social media detoxes and it's like just give it up but then if you give it up you have no one you have like all of their friends are here all yep. of their friends are on instagram so i think it's a lot easier said than done but i think it's twofold i think it's one it's being the person that says, hey, let's put away our phones and let's just talk or let's get on a Zoom call in these extraordinary circumstances that we're in. Let's get on a Zoom call and just hang out and have a game night. Even though that's technology, that's not you looking at some aspirational delusion of what someone's highlight reel is and comparing it here behind the scenes. It's looking at real humans on the other side of the screen. I think tech is great. I love tech. I absolutely do too. I freaking love it. I get to talk. To Nate, who I've been talked to in you know a, in a while, in yeah. freaking years, I get to even meet. even with his creepy dad vibe, you're still here. <laughs> so I think it's a great thing, and I think people go way to one or the other side. Either they say social media is terrible, or they say it's amazing. I think it's right in between, where technology is great if we can get on a Zoom and have a real conversation. So Juan, what's the through line? We agree, like tech is this beautiful, amazing thing that is reshaping the world as we know it in amazing ways. And there's some really scary stuff going on with it. What's the through line with students where you can reach them? Like, how do you, you know, we are, we're in my own house. We have a, there's no digital at the table. We eat dinner together every night and we have, there's no digital in the bedrooms, full stop. So we can be connected and we're not lonely in our own home. So is what do you think the through line is to go, hey, tech's okay. You just got to watch out a little bit. I think it it comes down to being able and with like the infrastructure piece that we talked about, you have to have a group, a person, a group of people, a group of friends that is also on the same page. Okay. Because if you have one Mm. person saying like, oh yeah, let's get off social. I'm going to turn off my phone. And then your friends never talk to you. Then that's really challenging. So I think in digital circumstances, I think being the person that suggests it and calls it out, I think last summer when we had the stuck at home conference, we would have these meetings every two weeks where we facilitated around hundred students coming together to have conversations. It was myself, my friend, Sarah, who's an Olympian, also a speaker here in Toronto my other friend, John Beatty, who is an Everest Mountaineer. And we literally came together because we're like, we got to bring students together. We don't know how. This is the only way we know how. So we literally got on these Zoom calls every two weeks. And it was the thing every single one of these students told us 
this was the call. It was around an hour, two hours long every two weeks. This was the call that they looked forward to for the two weeks. This was the highlight of their month, getting on this call and just talking and interacting. And some of them were like, this is the first time where I'm like on tech, I'm on Zoom, I'm on like having an interaction where I feel connected to the people on the other side. Because social is as good or as bad as you want it to be if you use it as a tool to be able to like, yeah, I use Instagram and I go on Instagram. Am I aimlessly scrolling for hours? No, sometimes I am. But for the most part, I go on and I interact with the people that I really enjoy. I interact and I see what my friends are up to in the US. I see what my best friends are up to and we have those conversations. So I think it's using it in the right way of using it for connection and engagement as opposed to looking at this picture of someone that is the highlight of their life and comparing it and then feeling like you're not enough. So that's tying it all together. From the very beginning, we're coming full circle of use tech for authentic connection, not the mindless, contrived, wearing a mask, fake, the whole deal. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's spot on. And we absolutely need to change the way that we use our devices. And I, I think if, if what we're talking about on one hand is how do you sort of turn down the uh, baser, lower level interaction with social media as one side of the conversation on the other, how do you turn up the value that youth can have in being present, developing social and emotional and relational skills. Like how do you get them to look at that as a core value that they really, really want? Because I feel that's the key driver to getting them to use technology differently and to spend less time, you know, on, on social Netflix and the platforms and be more engaged in the real world. You, you have to put them in the experience. I think once they realize how good it feels to connect with other humans because it's an innate driver that we all have to connect with our other human beings. When like, when I'll go back a year ago, when I would go to like leadership conferences and students would get to hang out, the reason why it was their favorite thing of the year is because they would connect with other students and honestly, just pointing that thing out and saying, let's do more of this. Yes. It's going to take effort. Yeah. It may feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You may get rejected. Yeah. People may think you're awkward and weird, but it's going to make you feel better in the long term. And the proof is in the experience. The right. proof is in the experience by them just being, okay, let's coordinate. Like I had a, a student message me that they coordinated a Zoom call with all of the students that are going to this school next year, that are going to this university to see how they can get on the same flight. That is on Zoom. That is on technology, but that is genuine connection, something that they're all excited about. Right. So I think it's them investing in more of those things. And a lot of the leadership conferences, the schools that I see are doing really great work is prioritizing and focusing on those things, the things that are outside of school. It's like, how can we come together and just hang out and just mm. have a good time? Yeah. Yep. So I, my next question to you, Juan, is um, leadership. We've talked a lot about leadership and you personally have been on this journey. You talk about in the schools and you have programs to help kids start to find their voice and understand their leadership style and make those connections. So I think it's safe to say broadly that we've seen some not great examples of leadership in the world recently. And I wanna know what are the students saying about leadership? 
you know, what is their heart kind of on their heart about leadership? What are they wanting and needing about leadership? Because you're really close to that conversation with the students. I think um, almost laughable and almost <laughs> memeable in the past. And it, it's felt like a movie. And a lot of mm. students that are really close to the fire, especially in the U.S., have felt like it's just unbelievable to a point where it's just like, oh, yeah, that's us. And that mindset hasn't yet been replaced with how can we do better? Mm. How can we be better? And I find that with student leaders that are in positions of influence, that are in the student leadership organizations that reach hundreds of thousands of students, I think the most important aspect of leadership that they, that a lot of them are leaning into, a lot of them haven't yet, is engagement. Is a, a year ago, a lot of conferences, a lot of student organizations, a lot of corporations paused all of their engagement events, paused all of the engagement programs. And they're like, we're going to wait. We're going to sit in place, wait for the storm to pass. And then we're going to get started again. And they didn't realize that the storm was actually a winter. And this winter was actually a, over a year now. And now you're seeing a lot of schools and organizations and conferences now get their stride back and doing virtual events because they know students need this now more than they did in February of 2020. Yeah. Students need this way more now. They need to be more engaged. They need to feel more present. They need to be, feel more a part of something now than they did 16 months ago. Mm -hmm. It's more important now. So I think in terms of leadership with students, I think the baseline that is the foundation of what they need to develop and are developing is engagement so that they can build a plan out of this time because a lot of it is like we're going to get through this and then get back to normal it's like we're not getting back to normal there won't be exactly how the things how things were a new normal a year and a half ago it's going to be completely different and it's going to be a new normal and it's going to be new guidelines and it's going to be a new way we do school and it's going to be a new way that we interact and engage and it's going to make us feel a different way and what students can do and what we can do is be able to see how engaged am I in my day? How present am I in my day? How engaged am I in this student organization? How engaged am I in the school? And if I'm distant, if I'm disengaged, if I'm not present, how can I lean into that? And like Alex said, the benefit of that is really hard to connect to mm -hmm. because it's not immediately present. You don't just see the benefit. What the problem is, is that on Instagram, as soon as you log into the app, you see the benefit. You feel the dopamine. Well, yeah, the dopamine. You see the novelty. Feels so good. Exactly. <laughs> and it's and that's the detriment that it's a longer term play. And what Alex was talking about in terms of the benefit, it's a longer term play, yeah. which will deter a lot of students from even investing in it in the first place. Mm. I'm just hoping that there was an, there was enough of a, I don't like the leadership I'm seeing in the student bodies, high school and college, that uh, and you're fostering that conversation on your journey as you're speaking to all of them that, hey, this is our window, right? In this winter that we're all in, you start to get a, 
a new body of students going, we want to lead differently. It's time to lead differently. So I'm hoping that that continues to foster and that community builds. Yeah, and I, I think that conversation is really heated right now, especially in the college space, where it's almost like if someone has a different opinion than you, then they're wrong and you're right when it's just different. Yeah. And we've gotten away from that idea where it's not about what they said. It's about why they bought, why it bothered you mm-hmm. in the first place. People get so heated on these conversations, especially political conversations where it's like, it's not about like, I could say you are, you are from Sweden and you're a farmer. And like, if I said to Alex, like, Alex, you're from Sweden, you're a farmer, it wouldn't offend him because he knows it's not true. It I might even like it. You might even like it. It wouldn't bother him because it is so ridiculous. But what happens is, and what is happening in that conversation is a lot of people are saying to other people, you're a farmer from Sweden. It was something that's not even true, something that is their opinion, but they're taking it as truth and it's really bothering them. Mm-hmm. And it becomes so heated. And it's like, we've got to get away from the idea of like everything that someone else says is truth. It's about us. It's an attack. It's us. It's them berating us. When the reality is like, that's their opinion. That's their mindset. That's where they're at, which is based on their past experiences and all those sorts of things. And all I can do is share my ideals and my opinions and my beliefs. So we can kind of have a relationship. We got to pick the relationship over the opinion. And a lot of people are picking the opinion over the relationship right now. I love that so much. Backwards. Yeah. I think we could probably spend a whole episode talking about how opinions and beliefs have become weaponized by technology. And people are so anchored into what they believe and so allergic to being curious about other folks and their beliefs. And and that's where you have the dialogue. Um, I'd like to pivot a little bit. You talked a lot about effort, and I think it's really interesting, or, or lack thereof. On the other side, you've got hustle culture, which has been very pervasive for a number of years, and that's being you know, led by Silicon Valley and startups, um, but obviously has branched out much further and wider. Productivity and you know, hacking ourselves, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? So on, on the plus side, it encourages discipline, hard work, relentless goal setting. And on the negative side, you know, grinding can just zap the joy from life. And it demands that we keep pace with automation, our devices. And, you know, you can't out hustle an algorithm, right? So how do you encourage the students that you interact with to find this healthy balance between hustling and humanity? I think, great question. I think, people put a blanket statement on hustling, on productivity, or on self-care, or on balance, and they think it's this one-stop shop, when the reality is that needs to be a customized experience. And that every single person has a different level of output and a different level of capacity. And one of my favorite things in the world is energy, and generating energy, and having energy, and giving energy to the projects that we're passionate about. Because like, it's I firmly believe if we give a level three energy to our relationships, we're going to have terrible relationships. We give a level five energy to our health and fitness, we're going to be in horrible shape. So if we raise the level of energy, the things in our lives will improve. So I think in terms of hustling and getting to work, like I'm a firm believer in like putting in effort every single day in terms of the effort that is optimized for your life. 
I'd rather someone do a student do four hours of flow, deep state work than eight hours of distraction. Mm-hmm. I'd rather someone wake up at eight fully rested than wake up at 530 groggy and tired. So I think it's optimizing for the individual. And we've gotten so invested in work 16 hours a day, work 18 hours a day. That's like saying everyone is in the same shape in terms of fitness. There's a lot of people that have never gone to the gym. There's a lot of other people that have spent decades in the gym. You cannot compare those two people in doing the same program. Just like you can't compare two people in putting in the same amount of effort. Some people, it's going to be four hours. Some people, it's going to be three or some people enjoy working 14 or 15 hours a day, but I think it's optimizing for happiness. Whatever will make you happy. Some people enjoy doing the four-hour work week style, hiring out 10 VAs, running a six-figure business and working three hours a day or three hours a week and then vacationing. If I did that, I would go insane. I love waking up at 5.30 in the morning, six in the morning, working out, working a full day and feeling like I accomplished something because it isn't what we do that really makes us happy. It's the progress in what we do that makes us happy. So I I mostly like being on vacation. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And here you are on vacation doing a podcast. What are you doing here? So I, I think it's, it's finding the balance with yourself and it's it's the self-awareness of are you the 16-hour-a-day person? Are you the 10-hour-a-day person? Do you like taking weekends off to just relax? Like, I don't want, for example, like I don't want to sleep in on a weekend. Like I've only got a limited time on the earth. Like I want to wake up early. I want to make a coffee. I want to learn about investing. I want to go work out. I want to like have a productive weekend. That's something I really enjoy. I have friends. I want to take the weekend off. I want to sleep in. And that's their experience. So I think it's having the self-awareness of what makes you happy and what will allow you to enjoy your life. That's such a great answer. Yeah. I, I think I would love to ask you, you know, building on that, when you're thinking about where students are willing to put the effort and the work and career opportunities in front of them today, where do they want to focus? What are the skills that they most want to learn now? That's a really good question. I, I think it's it's different across the board, but what I'm finding is that a lot of students want to do something and move towards a career that they're passionate about. And I think there's going to be, there is an influx in passionate work that students are pursuing that they don't want to work the nine to five. They don't want to do the thing just because it's financially secure. They'd rather make $28,000 a year and do something (laughs) they really enjoy than six figures and be miserable. But there is going to be a rude awakening when they get to after school and they have to be able to support themselves and they have to be able to build a career. A lot of students will come up to me like, I want to start a business. Great. Brace yourself, take a deep breath and drink some water because it is going to be a ton of work. And I don't think that students are necessarily prepared to endure the amount of effort it's going to take to really create a life around something that they're passionate about. 
Because I, 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 I can personally say that you really never know how good you have it in college until you're out of college. Because I was one of those guys that's like, I can't wait to get into the workforce. And I got into the workforce and I was like, oh, man. <laughs> it's I had it so good. Finance. I had it so good. Yeah. And it's like, it's knowing how the world works and like knowing how the economy works and all of those like it's we've got to prepare and this is something i've just thought for years now it's like we have got to teach students about taxes and about investing and about finances and about real world skills and like the average american can't handle a 400 yeah. unexpected expense we have to be able to educate students like kind of coming full circle around our conversation about education and and going to a traditional education is like we've got to learn about finances and financial abundance and being able to invest and compound interest as opposed to solving for x yeah like yes there are some careers that absolutely that absolutely require that but let's train those people for those things that want to do those jobs because a lot of the things in school that I was tested on in high school and in university, I would not remember right now and are not relevant to the career that I am in currently. The only thing that is relevant to the career that I'm in right now is drama. That's mm -hmm. it. Is the charisma building is being able to do improv and speak and communicate and have charisma. Like that's the only thing for me personally that actually invested in the career that I'm in. So I think it's it's really going to come down to having the awakening of like, oh, this is going to be really hard. And I think a hardship and hitting your shins and like with a scooter, that is really good. And we've gotten away from that. And I think people need to experience that little bit of pain to know what it's like so that when they're on the other side of it, they can be grateful for where they came from. Yeah, I I one of the axioms I picked up for myself is that pain is always my greatest teacher. Easy doesn't change you, right? Effort, efforts. But what you were saying, Juan, I think that to tie it all together is purpose plus effort. Because we're all, look, everybody's looking for like, how do I find myself in this crazy, disrupted, changing world and finding, you know, chasing that purpose, putting in the effort equals, you know, purpose plus effort equals the life that you always wanted anyway, right? Get out there, chase what you love, bust your damn ass, and you can have what you wanted. But it's gonna be hard, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it's not always doing things you enjoy, right? Like it's not always, especially if you wanna start a passion project, there is going to be, there is absolute value in doing things that you do not like, yeah. that you genuinely do not enjoy. Like I. I'm so unbelievably grateful for the moments where my flight was canceled and I had to sleep on the floor of an airport with a little Air Canada pillow to catch my flight the next morning to get to the speech. Like, I, I'm really grateful for those moments. I'm grateful for the hardship. I'm grateful for the challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for all of those things because I know it allows you to appreciate those moments when things are great like even a moment like this like i love having this conversation i love hanging out with you guys and it's this is just a blast and this is a part i consider this a part of something that i'm really passionate about is talking to humans that are awesome that are amazing that are doing good things in the world like that's aligned with that purpose 
But oftentimes, like Nate, to your point, if there is no purpose behind the things that we're doing, we're not going to put the necessary effort. So they're kind of attached. Like we're not going to put an effort if there's no purpose. And if there's no effort, we're not going to be able to create the purpose. So it's kind of like a never ending loop. Yeah, it's unsustainable. And what we're all saying here and kind of bringing the whole conversation into a point is helping people build the skills that will help them build their purpose. And, and then, you know, that realization you're talking about Juan is of, you're not going to get this dream life that you've always wanted without effort. So let's start focusing the skills on giving your gifts to the world and living the purpose that you've always wanted. But it's you're going to have to grind, baby. <laughs> get up and grind. Juan, we're, uh, we're coming up on time, and I want to ask you about transformation work. There is This is hard work. It is not for the faint of heart, but it is so worth it. And I want to hear a story from you where you go, I know this moment mattered. I know this made a difference in someone's life and it filled your cup and it filled their cup and it filled who's ever cup. And I want, you know, what was that story? Oh, I, you probably have a hundred, <laughs> pick one of them. Yeah. Like, and, and they always come at moments when I'm like questioning the career and I'm like, should mm-hmm. I do this? This is, yes. Where's this even going? And I think, hmm, I'm debating between two. Well, there was one. I, it's it's like the little things that really get me. There's somewhere a student was, you know, on on the verge of wanting to end their life and having the conversation with them afterwards on on Instagram or sending them a video and just like having that conversation after the speech. But there was one in particular where I was in California at Bella Vista high school. And I gave a speech to like 2000 students, two presentations back to back. So 4,000 in total. And I was like talking to the students afterwards. And one of the presentations, like there's some presentations that you feel like you're on and you hit your marks and you tell your jokes and it's like legit. And then others where you're like, Ooh, I really needed to work for this one. And I really needed to, to get effort for this one. And the second one was where like everything was like going really well. And there was a student that like called something out and tried to like heckle. But then I like, I called their name. I was like, did you, did you just say, and it like got a really good laugh and I had a really good interaction with them. And I like won everyone back and everything was going really well. And after I, I went, like we were driving home. This was in California. So my girlfriend, like my girlfriend now who lives here, we were in California because she was living there. And I get this Instagram DM from this girl that said, I was in your presentation and I absolutely loved it. And I'd been wanting to build up the courage to talk to my crush and, and ask her out. And I couldn't for years. And for some reason in your presentation, something changed. And I was like, I just got to do it today because if I don't do it, I never will. And she sent me a video of her holding up the sign of like, will you go to semi with me? And she like went up to a girl and they like hugged. It was like this big thing. And she's like, thank you. That absolutely made my year. This is something that I've wanted to do for years. And you helped me do that. And then I was like, just a mess. And I was like, those little moments. It's the, it's the kid that says like, oh man, it's, it's, the, it's the kid that messaged me like, I wanted to talk to my crush and I couldn't for years, but like I did today and we're going on a date on Friday. Or it's the one where a, a student that 
we were, I had spoken to her like at her school and like six months later, she messaged me and, and she was saying, I just wanted to say thank you because I was having a conversation with my mom, a tough conversation where I was talking about ending things. And she said something and I completely broke down and she said, what would Juan say to you? Mm. And, and she was like, and I broke down and I thought of what you would say. And I thought of our conversation. I thought of your presentation and I just want to say thank you and know that every, every hard moment that I have, I think about that. And I think about our conversation. I think of what you would say and that, that's just like, um, and then, then I have those moments and I was like, oh, I guess I can't quit. Yeah. Yes. I, I got to keep doing this. Um, yeah. every time you reach one, it makes it all worth it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Alex, let's do the speed round. Let's do it. Ooh. So, so Juan, we want to hit you with some rapid fire. You don't have time to think and launch into some soapbox. We want you to go gut. What are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? We're going to try to rock five questions in five minutes. So quick answers. All right. So Nate and I explored growth mindset in our third episode of the show. What's the best way to shift students from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset? Clarity on what you want and then building the plan to move towards that thing. I think lack of execution comes from lack of clarity. If you have clarity of direction, if you have direction, you can take action. What are the top three skills for the future for students, high school and college? Oh, all things considered. Communication. Consistency and confidence. Mm, the three C's. Nice. Yeah. It, were those three C's? Yeah, three C's. The three C's. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> you got to work the three <laughs> C's now. <laughs> notice. What is the most daunting thing for students career-wise today? <sighs> Being able to stomach failure. Mm. Feel that. Yeah. yeah. That's for all of us. All right. What's the one thing that students want out of touch adults and parents to know that they are going through? That they're going to be okay. Ooh, good. Parents and adults and educators are always so worried of their students doing well. And like, yeah, they may fail. They may severely hurt themselves. They may experience hardships, but good. They're going to be okay. Nice. What is the one topic you aren't speaking about today, but dying to speak about? Energy generation. I, I touch on it, but like generating energy and the actual strategies and stories around like, if you have more energy, you will invest more in the things that you want and you will move forward at a higher level. And I we're not that, talking about green energy. You're talking about state, the human yes. body, your own energy. Yes, I'm talking about your own energy and being energetic and having energy to give to the things because disengagement comes from lack of energy. Yes. Static, not moving forward comes from lack of energy. If we have more energy, we do better. Just a fact. 100%. Juan, thank you so much for spending this time with us on the Disrupted Workforce. I can't tell, I mean, we started talking about this, no kidding, in early 2020, after the pandemic started, Alex and I said, we need to do an episode on 
students, on the kids. Are they okay? Like what's going on in that space? And you're the perfect person to come in and hold that space for us and tell that story and honestly put us in check a little bit about our assumptions. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It was an immense pleasure to have you with us today. Where can everybody find you on? Where should people go to, to, to check you out? What are the best spots? Uh, best spots are Instagram. If you want to get connected directly, that's Juan, J-U-A-N, Bandana, B-E-N-D-A-N-A. That's where I hang out the most. Uh, YouTube as well, hang out there. And then JuanBandana.com for all like career speaking stuff. But Instagram, if you have a question ID you want to share, send me a message and we'll respond. Awesome. And Juan has this fantastic new goals journal out as well as an amazing new program on personal leadership transformation. We're so appreciative of all your work, man. It's very, very inspiring and uh, just a, a joy to, to spend time with you. Awesome. Thank y'all so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. All right. See you soon. <laughs>